Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, February 14, 2020 podcast installment of the Silicon Insider, the only truly honest and uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. We're at our 1949 card table and ready to go. My name is Mike Malone, and I've been covering this town longer than anybody. I'm here with my co-host, Scott Budman, legendary tech reporter for NBC Bay Area. We're recording this at the studio at PRX Tech, Inc. in San Jose. Thanks, Brenna Bolger. And our producer is Tad Malone. Okay, let's get started. What are the big stories for the week? Hey, uh, you know, I always like when Joint Venture Silicon Valley comes out with its annual, you know, look at the valley. And it's interesting because we've got the highs and the lows. Yeah, we got the yin and the yang of stories this week about the valley. Yeah, I mean, the job news is outstanding. I, You know, you, you cover this on a daily basis. You don't realize it's this good. But in the aggregate, 12 months... Almost 30,000 new jobs created. Yep. Tech obviously dominating this area. Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Amazon. Right. The biggest, uh, and it's interesting that one of those, Amazon's not even based here, but it's hiring like crazy here. Yeah. Um, And you could say the same and then some for Seattle, but we've got huge job growth. And for most parts of the country, that would be wonderful. Right. And for most parts of the country, you could still, with a job, afford a house. Yes. That's the other part of this, is the housing market has gotten so all-time highish proof that you can have too much good news yeah on the economic front the other record setting high is income inequality and it's here yeah because we've got so much stock market gain value you know largely versus those who are not in the tech industry and the housing prices are going higher and higher the median price in the south bay where you yeah. know sort of the, the roots of the valley uh 1.2 million dollars for a house right so that's a down payment of something like four hundred thousand. That's cash that you've got to come up with. And unless you have stock options to cash in, as we found out. that's the median. Go to Palo Alto. Go to to Los Altos or Sunnyvale. Yeah. And it's very intimidating. Uh, As someone who's not in the tech industry, I can tell you that's an intimidating amount of money. And if you're younger and and just getting started, and uh, I mean, imagine trying to say, I want a house to raise a family or whatever. It's just, uh, there's a huge brick wall. What blows me away it's just in my neighborhood in Sunnyvale. People are buying houses and then turning around and rebuilding them. We're starting to get the Palo Alto effect. So you spend 1.6 on a house and you do another 500, 600,000. And the first Maserati just appeared on my street. Now this is suburbia Sunnyvale. When I was a kid, those houses went for $17,000. Now we got Maseratis. Right. So, okay. And, and, yeah, yeah. And, and so the, the big thing is is the strain this is putting yeah. on. It's going to be tough because what built the Valley? Startup culture. Absolutely. Which by definition is not yet making the big money. In fact, yeah. taking a risk. And if you're saying, hey, we want to get qualified people, what if those people need a place to stay? What if they already have families? What if they're uh, right. not rich? How are you going to get them to come here? And, you know, I've been asking that question for 25 years. How much more expensive can this place be? before it drives out the startups. It hasn't done it yet, and I don't understand. It just shows these, you know, people that want to start a company, this is the place to do it, and they will do any amount of sacrifice to pull it off. It's true, but we're starting to see it drive out people. Yes. By the thousands, and you gotta figure that some of those people it's driving out are the next whatever, the next people to start Airbnb, or the next people to start Which brings us to the other side, of the other story that came out this week, which was a Business Journal article. Mm -hmm. I'm even gonna give them credit, Marlies Van Romberg and Jay Jennings Moss, because they did a lot of work on this one. Okay, this is their Silicon Valley Index at the Journal. 
and they came up with some interesting facts. In comparison to joint venture, which says everything's still booming, we're still adding jobs, these guys noticed that the region showed the largest number of people leaving Silicon Valley since 2005. Right. 8,000 people have left. It's a big number. Very big. That's why you can't get a U-Haul trailer around here. <laughs> uh, housing prices have doubled in that time frame, uh, but took a marked dip last year. I haven't noticed houses being on the market any any more time than they were a year ago during the boom because the prices dropped just enough that it brought in more demand. I mean, it's it's quite amazing. Right, you're still seeing some homes with multiple offers. Yes. And that was sort of a valley phenomenon in a, a Bay Area And they're phenomenon. not staying on the market more than a few days even now. Right, and, and again, because there are haves that can afford to do this, but the rest of us can't. And yet, since 2005, housing prices have doubled. Well, that one doesn't surprise us. Right. But it's still amazing that a housing house price can double in 15 years. Okay, we added, um, continue to add to the payroll, job growth, but it slowed last year, 1.7%. I mean, are these auguries of a slowdown, or have we just peaked and we're now plateaued? It feels like we've peaked and we plateaued. Yeah. Um, because there's still these big companies, especially the ones we mentioned, the Facebook, Google, Amazon, LinkedIn, they're still hiring. Right. Um, my concern is not for those guys. No, I don't my worry concern about that. are the startups and the people who are leaving because they don't have enough. Where are you going to find the scrappy people? Yes. You know, they're going to leave and scrap I mean, somewhere the valley else. Was, one of the reasons the Valley was started was because, not just because you had Stanford and HP and Lockheed and all that, but you had cheap housing and cheap real estate. And now this is the most expensive place in America. So how do you square that circle? I'm not sure we have an answer to that. Meanwhile, no, this doesn't surprise me. Homelessness in the region has doubled since 2011. There are 5,500 more people living on the streets or in shelter in 2019 compared to eight years earlier. Right, we hit all-time high in job growth. At the same time, all-time high in the number of homeless people, and that's just for Silicon Valley. Now, are these people that have been laid off here, or are these people who have come here in hopes that this is the land of milk and honey? A little bit of both. Remember, the homeless population used to be defined as those who were destitute. Yes. Um, perhaps had mental issues. And that was where the treatment was focused. In the Silicon Valley, homelessness means you may still have a job. Yeah. You may have a family. You may have an income. Those you might are, even have health care, but you don't have a house because it's so yeah, incredibly those, expensive. Those are the guys in campers on El right. Camino and Palo Alto in front of Stanford. Right. Yeah, and on uh, Central Expressway and Mountain View. Right. Yeah. I mean, what what better illustration? I've had some park on my street. They show up at, at dark. So right. And so you have and disappear in the morning on your own street. You have Maseratis. Yeah. And homeless people. Yes. At Stanford, which is always signified wealth and privilege and future jobs, right. etc. You've got homeless people right in the shadow of Stanford University. Yes. You need no better illustration of what's going on in the and valley these days. I don't know about you, but every time uh, you know, I go from here, I go out. 17 hang a right on a 280 it's all homeless people in the bushes i right. mean there Lots are people sleeping five feet away from cars going 75 miles an hour in the bushes right. i have never seen that in my life around here and it's just mind-boggling right we are building jobs but we're not building enough housing for it for the price to come down yet and yet our economy still leads the nation and we've created 400,000 jobs in the past decade, which is an astounding number when you it really is. think about it. Right.
and that's good. I mean, I, there's doom and gloom, but there's also hope, but we really need to somehow take that largesse yep. and help those who are not participating in it. And we have a global epidemic, a pandemic right. underway. We have no idea what that's going to do to this equation here. Right. I just read today a million, 1.5 million people lined up in Hong Kong to get surgical masks. Yeah, uh, I mean, what they are seeing in Asia is staggering. And it should make everybody here in the Valley, at least as we speak right now, feel extremely fortunate yes. that, these th that it hasn't hit. Um, well, and, and they did some uh, uh, satellite surveillance using mass spectrometers or something over China and to look, measure the air pollution. It's down 50%, well, sure. which says right. that industrial production may have been halved in China in the last three months. No doubt. That's one of the world's largest economies. Well, look, this is how we're dealing with this. You know, the Mobile World Conference in Barcelona, Spain, canceled. canceled. Yes. And in America, people were like up in arms, like, I can't go talk about my mobile phones? Yeah. Well, wait a minute, there's a worldwide pandemic going on. Let's feel blessed that all we're affected by right here in Silicon Valley is the fact that we can't go on a beautiful trip to Barcelona to talk about mobile phones. Oh, well, <laughs> we'll do it well, elsewhere. A couple of days ago, I saw my first driver with a surgical mask on. I've seen drivers with masks. Yeah, on. in Los Altos, going to Pete's. I mean, it's, well, it's yeah, people are reacting in different ways. So far, we've we've dodged it, and may that continue. Who knows? All right, let's get some tech news. Okay, flip phones. Yeah, this is a this is a conference that did happen. This is one of those rules that whatever technology you think is obsolete, it comes back. It more always comes, comes back. back more expensive than ever. Yeah, oh, of course. This was interesting. Samsung unpacked. Samsung had been on a mini roll because their batteries stopped catching on fire and they were selling phones again. Good for them. The big thing is this Galaxy Z flip phone, a flip phone. Yes. Which, I mean, Samsung proved that those things aren't ready for prime time and they're charging something like $1,400. Yeah, it's only $1,400. I mean, it's, it's almost like they have a big <laughs> opportunity to say, hey, Apple, we're going to undercut you and sell a ton of phones. Instead, right. we're going to charge even more money than the iPhone 11 with a flip phone, which is unproven. And, you know, give it time. We'll see these things out in the wild. But that's a lot of money for us. And, and the Razer, Lenovo, right. Motorola Razer is $1,500. Speaking of going back in time, the Razer is back. Yes. For $1,500. <laughs> I used to have one. Yeah, me too, but it didn't cost $1,500. No, it did not. Great. Well, it'll be interesting if people will pay that. I mean, there is the problem. Phones got bigger, you know, physically bigger uh, smartphones. And using the iPhone, you know, design. Right. You know, there's a good argument if the, if the damn screen will actually bend and not explode or crack or anything else. Have something the size of your wallet again. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll be watching the young people to see if they use the flip phone to somehow, I don't know, improve the social media experience that they're so, you know using so much, but um, I can't really see a good reason for it, except something that might break. Well, the nice thing is I go to, I get coffee at Pete's in Los Altos, so all the kids from St. Francis swing by there, and those rich kids, they're going to have those phones first True. if they actually want it. So I'll be able to, yeah, uh, I'll tell you how the trend is going <laughs> do the field research as I watch yes. the kids eating their latte, drinking their lattes and using their new flip right. phones. <laughs> okay, um, let's see. Uh, well, we talked about coronavirus, yeah, and it we, didn't seem to stall things out no, in America. No, it's amazing. And with the market is right. still going through the roof. Uh, you I know, mean, we're starting to see some... But the uh, market is supposed to be predictive, right? It's right. supposed to be, right. 
well, if there's a disaster, it's unexpected, yeah, the market reacts. But for the most part, the market's looking six months ahead and saying, here's the trend line. Right. And the trend line seems to be... I know we're surprised. Remember, we were talking about the earnings that we got over the last couple of weeks. Right. And some of them hinted at coronavirus, but we knew the effects wouldn't be felt until the next quarter, three months down the road. Yes. And the predictions have not come in all that badly. Right. And even when a company like let's say Roku says, yeah, you know, we might be hit by the coronavirus. We're not sure how. Their stock still goes up because overall right. they're performing well. So it's almost like the stock market is taking a short-term focus right. instead of a long-term. And I wonder how much that is. That's one argument. Another argument I read was the market really believes that we're going to defeat this epidemic. That, that and part of it seems to be they're looking at the trend lines of the number of new cases. And it seems to be slowing slightly. Now, that... That's depending an awful lot on the truthfulness of Chinese reporting. True. But the, the world is reacting, you know? So it's possible the market is already putting that into the equation. We're going to beat this thing and we'll be fine. Okay, so uh, quarterly results. NVIDIA, applied materials. Yeah, continued strength in the chip sector. But with some exceptions, Intel actually laid off about 100 people here yeah. in Silicon Valley. And granted, that's a small number in the aggregate, but it's still people put back on the street. Um, and uh, AMD had a weaker than expected quarter. But, uh, boy, NVIDIA has roared back. Right. Uh, applied materials, which... Now, that's SEM. That's right. semiconductor equipment. Those guys are the tail of the dog. They're the first into recessions and the last out. Right. And so if they're looking good, that means the whole chip industry is ordering equipment. Right. And I'm, I'm you know, I don't trade, obviously, but you look at applied materials and you think, aren't they really the canary in the coal mine on something in China? Yeah, absolutely. How are they performing so well when we've got this coronavirus there? It's all mystifying to me. So... <laughs> uh, so Roku's strong, Cisco beat the estimates. Right, Cisco actually had a pretty good quarter, and Cisco is... But they still got hurt by the market. Right, they're not as much of a tech bellwether as they were, certainly, but they're proving to be fairly relevant still, given how old they are. Um, but you look at something a little sexier, like Roku, yeah. which is selling like crazy in the streaming world. Shopify, online marketplace, is still very hot. Uh, yeah. They've just exploded, and you know, you're still seeing strength. Well, in... I would think online entertainment, like streaming and online shopping, right. they're going to do well the worse the fears of the pandemic are. Right, and and you used to be able to say, well, that's Amazon's strong suit. Amazon is now so big, yeah, yeah they're doing well. But you, know, you look at that smaller companies like a, a Shopify or maybe you know a Netflix even, they're, they're all doing really well. Um, and so at least the market is prepared if we all have to stay inside. Yes, one of them is my winner of the week. We'll oh, okay, get to that we'll get to minute. that, all right. Okay, HP says it will answer Xerox's latest buyout offer on February 24th. This is still an, an idea I don't get, because Xerox is admitting it has to borrow yeah. all this money. And this is literally, I've said it before, it's like, I'm asking you out on a date. How are we going to get there? I'm going to steal a car. Yeah, and then you're paying for dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not uh, it's not a we're going to take you over because it's a good merger. It's we're going to go into tremendous debt because we're both old, irrelevant companies. That's yeah. what this sounds like. Yeah, $35 billion. What are they buying? HP's intellectual property? Their facilities well, around the world? Yeah, I, don't I, I don't get it. And HP is not HP anymore. It's pared down. I mean, there's like three different HPs out there. 
you know, and this is just the residual one. And isn't this what they said when Carly Fiorina wanted and, and did successfully, somewhat successfully, buy Compaq? Right. They said, well, these are two old school, less than relevant tech companies coming together to maybe just survive. Right. And HP did survive, and now they've split, And but I, I just don't get Xerox buying them. I, I tell you, that, that's a story that's not been written, is HP's purchase of Compaq. That should have been impossible. That should not have worked. And the people of HP, the classic old old school HP, you know, best company in the world, they managed to absorb Compact. I mean, it was incredible. The sacrifices the HP employees made to do that right. is, is historic. Well, and it left a lot of people without jobs. Yeah, and it damaged HP forever. Yeah. yeah. There's a good book in there uh, someday. And speaking of good books, let's give you a plug. Yeah, there we go. Next <laughs> Tuesday. Your book uh, comes out. Yeah, The Autonomous Revolution. I wrote it with um, Bill Davidow, the uh, former senior VP of Intel, the guy that basically invented high-tech marketing, and a legendary venture capitalist. And Bill and I wrote a book 25 years ago called The Virtual Corporation. It was a big bestseller. It was a cover of Business Week and all that. And we got together about a year ago and had, a, had lunch, and Bill said, I got these new ideas. And I said, God, that's great. Let's do a book. So a quarter century later, you know, I was a kid, the first book, and he was still a big-time venture capitalist. Now he's 83, and I'm, you know, I'm a senior citizen, but uh, we put this thing together over the last year. It'll scare the hell out of you. I'm honored to have it on my desk. Ah, good. Uh, but it has a happy ending. Good. <laughs> Not a big happy ending, but most of the book really deals with, the basic premise of the book is, this. everyone's saying this is the fourth industrial revolution going on robots and AI. And we argue, no, it's actually much bigger than that. It's something that's only happened twice in human history, which is a phase shift. And that phrase comes from physics, which means, you know, when you have water and you have, you know what water's all about, you have all the rules of how to deal with water, with plumbing and all that, hydraulics, you know its behavior. Suddenly you drop below 32 degrees Fahrenheit and you've got ice. And if you've never seen ice before, you wouldn't know it's water. You wouldn't know how it behaves. You wouldn't know anything about it. All the rules change completely. Well, twice in human history this has happened. The agricultural revolution. Imagine if you're a goat herder and you're walking along the Levant, driving your goats, and you look up and you see the first city, which is Jericho. First of all, you wouldn't even know it was a city. You wouldn't know there were human beings in it. And once you got in there, you wouldn't even know how to behave because the agricultural revolution was a fundamental shift from everything that came before with all new sets of rules. They invented new gods, government, civil service, all this stuff. Same thing happened again with the, with the industrial revolution. Same kind of phase shift. This is what we're going through right now as this phase change. And we're arguing this is so fundamentally different, we can't even predict what the rules are going to be. But we are going to be probably living alongside, for the first time in human history, another species. And it'll be a silicon species. And uh, it's going to take up more and more of our lives. So we have some real questions ahead of us. So that's what we did in the book. Excellent. We looked at government. We looked at family life. We looked at the good job. We looked at all of these things and tried to kind of extrapolate to where do we go from here? And there's not a lot of real good answers yet. Uh, the good news is, usually when these revolutions happen on the other side, after all the bloodletting and everything, life gets a whole lot better.
people live longer, they're healthier, they're wealthier, that sort of thing. So that's the theme. All right. And I get to stay home next week. I've been writing serialization articles and Bill's going to New York to do all the TV. (laughs) So I can stay in my, you know, T-shirt and Levi's. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, Your winner of the week. uh, My winner is Shaquille O'Neal. Ah. The big Aristotle, always hip to social media. Yes. Shaquille goes onto Instagram to sell his condo, his house. He's got a $2.5 million spot. Uh, 15 million followers. Wouldn't, I just you, think that's wouldn't you expect Shaq to have a bigger place than two? I guess. Well, two, he's not here. Oh, it's back. <laughs> Remember, back right. Back in the South where, right. he's, where he's a, isn't he a cop? A sheriff? Yeah, I believe he's yeah. in law enforcement. Hey, he, and he's obviously an analyst, and he's got homes all over the place. But I just love the idea that Shaquille... I interviewed Shaquille O'Neal, and the first thing he said is, Hey, put this on Periscope. I know you like to stream. Wow. And it was like, whoa, Jack. Anyway, so he's very hip to social media. Uh, he's my winner. He's going to get some people f- by his place. 15 million followers. Yeah, I know. Goodness. Damn. Um, also was touched by what he said about Kobe Bryant. He's had a, a very good humanizing... Uh, week. It's good for Shaq. Uh, yeah. The loser, uh, no question this week for me, it's Bloom Energy. Uh, we were trying to warn people about Bloom Energy years ago. Yes. Uh, green Energy, but we didn't really know what they do, and they wouldn't answer questions at their own introductory press conference. Yeah, big, that's big a red big flag. problem. Yeah. Now it turns out they, they did go public, not terribly successfully. They now have to restate earnings from every single quarter since they went public for years. Ouch. Because they've been doing it wrong, um, and obviously their stock took an even bigger hit. Uh, this is not apparently how we're going to solve climate change. Okay, there you go. Uh, Your winner, my winner, Netflix. They're they're winning the streaming wars. Who would have thought? Good for with them. all these new you know offerings out there that are pretty sexy, you would have thought that maybe Netflix would have would have lost some of its pace, but it's it's winning the game. Sometimes it can be good to be there, if not first, early enough to sort of get a base. And when we're hunkered down in our houses with our surgical masks on right. and holding our Winchesters, you know, and, and keeping a bead on the UPS guys, he brings the box up to our front porch. Netflix may be the only thing that sustains us through. That's right. <laughs> and my loser is Lyft. Boy, these companies are having a rough time. So they're predicting more losses ahead and their stock got hammered. Yeah, and it was interesting because they lost a ton of money and said they're going to continue losing. Uh, Uber, their chief competitor, lost even more, but says, well, by the end of the year, we'll be profitable. I'd like to see that. Yeah, I'm waiting for that one. They're going to get, I think Uber's going to get punished for that statement. Yeah. You know, you know, sometimes these companies, they do that in order to soften the bad blow and the right. present, believing, well, no one's going to care about that, you know, four months from now or whatever. Well, I think, yeah. I think. People are going to throw that right back at Uber's face. And profitability, as we've seen with companies getting published, uh, punished and yeah. companies like Tesla being rewarded, is really back in vogue. You've got to start making money. Yes. Uh, that's it for now, folks. You can follow Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And, of course, watch him every weeknight at 5, 6, and 11 on NBC Bay Area. As for our producer, you can find Ted's work these days on Instagram and on the side of one local delivery truck. He sent me a photograph of it. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone, and have a great weekend.